Welcome to this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live, the show which ensures that you profit from your time spent here with experts, either through the insights, information, or simply learning from them. And today we have Dr. Doug Lucas, and he's a health optimization physician. He's the founder of his telehealth practice, Optimal Bone Health. Welcome to the show, Dr. Doug. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you, doctor. Thank you for joining us. And we'll be talking about, you know, how to reverse and prevent osteoporosis. And that's a very important thing related to bone. But let's make no bones about it. Not everybody understands it the way it should be understood. So firstly, to understand from you, doctor, what exactly is, you know, why is it important for us to understand the about our bones and our structure and what how osteoporosis is linked to that yeah great great question and a, a wonderful lead into this topic so what is often misunderstood or just underrepresented is just how important it is that we maintain good bone health so here are a couple of statistics which i think really lay it out nicely that at least in the united states and it's similar across the world but in the united states one out of every two women will suffer a fracture from osteoporosis in their lifetime. That's 50% of women around there. For men, it's a little bit smaller. It's either one out of three or one out of four, depending on which statistics you read. Some of those fractures, particularly hip fractures, which is, of course, you know, where your leg meets your pelvis, the hip fracture, if you have one of those, the statistics are really scary when it comes to loss of independence and actually potentially dying in the 12 months after it. About a third of patients, if you mix both men and women, will potentially pass away within the 12 months after a hip fracture. And only a third of those patients that have a hip fracture will ever regain complete independence. So it is a massive game changer when it comes to how you age, how you're feeling as you age, and your independence as you age. So understanding that that risk is very real and the implications are really high, then we go to the next question, which is, what is osteoporosis? How does that relate to having a fracture? And the definition is actually not that simple because there are many different versions of it. But functionally, osteoporosis just means porous bone. It is literally the, the, um, an imbalance of the building and breakdown of bone. And bone is a very metabolically active organ in your body. It's always undergoing uh, building, rebuilding, breakdown. And when you have an imbalance of that, which happens very reliably under certain circumstances, then the bone starts to break down more than it's being built up. That leads to porous bones, which leads to increased risk of fracture. So that's how those two things are related. I hope that answers your question. Yes, yes, indeed, doctor. Who better than a master like you and uh, to help us understand this? And even some statistics that I, I quickly looked at in the internet, it was that Approximately 10 million Americans have osteoporosis and another 44 million have low bone density. Now, this is something I quickly tried to get from the Internet. I don't know how accurate it is, but this is, I'm sure, from some source or the other gives us some sort of an indication what the situation is. Exactly what exactly is bone density? Is it related to, you know, osteoporosis? And what are the reasons for these things because in general terms layman terms being from india uh, as i have understood you know in my own layman term is that we are born born with this 
whole structure. And only when you have a problem or you there is a broken bone, then only you realize that there is something to be taken care of. It's almost like the foundation of a building, very strong, but always hidden out of sight. How would you like to help us tell us that this is not just a simple thing. It may be the foundation, but something which is which cannot be neglected. How do we do that? Because we are talking about not just reversing osteoporosis, but also preventing it in the first place. How do we go about this? Several things at the same time, but you are the doctor. Yeah, it's all right. I'm taking just notes. I'm taking notes. At the same time so that the doctor can give the proper diagnosis. Yeah, absolutely. So um, let me just start with the, the topic of bone density. So when we talk about bone density, the reason why we use that term is because the traditional screening method and the 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 imaging method that we use to monitor for progression of the disease of osteoporosis is done through a study called DEXA. So DEXA stands for dual energy x-ray absorbed geometry when, and I apologize for the big words, but we'll call it DEXA. And it's basically a fancy x-ray. What that study does is it tells us what bone, what your bone density is. And we're concerned about bone density because it is a part of the equation of bone strength. So the equation for bone strength is bone density plus bone uh, quality. So it's, it's the quantity and the quality of bone that equals bone strength. We can measure density relatively easily with DEXA. The nice thing about DEXA is it's, it's globally available. It's typically covered by insurance under some circumstances. Um, and even if it's not, it's relatively inexpensive. So it is, it is abundantly out there. So when we talk about a diagnosis of osteoporosis, frequently we're actually referring to the bone density and the uh, World Health Organization, National Osteoporosis Foundation, and many other organizations all agree that if you have what's called a T-score, so T is in Tom, T-score of less than negative 2.5, uh, then you have a diagnosis of osteoporosis. Some of your listeners might have heard of osteopenia. Osteopenia is that space between negative 1.5 and negative 2.5. And a T-score is just a representation of bone quantity or bone density compared to what is peak bone mass. And peak bone mass occurs actually really early in life. So that's a nice transition then to that question of how do we prevent fracture? And the reality is, is that we are paying attention to this problem way too late in life. You mentioned that a lot of people don't think about their bones until they've had a fracture. When that happens, certainly there are things we can do and, and it's not an unreasonable time to really start paying attention. But actually, if we could pay attention much sooner, I'm talking earlier in adult life and honestly, even into adolescence, even into teenage years, because peak bone mass, that what that T-score is based off of, actually goes all the way back to probably early 20s for most people. That's when your peak bone mass occurs. To get to a high peak bone mass, a good starting point, you really need to have a good diet, avoid you know chronic dieting, eating disorders, um, chronic inflammation, chronic diseases, a lot of stuff that we're seeing in our adolescent kids. So I think what's happening that we're not testing for is a lot of young adults have a very poor bone quality to begin with. They don't get screened until they've had a fracture and then it's, it's not too late, but it's much easier to stop bone loss than it is to rebuild bone. So getting to the prevention side, it's really early screening, in my opinion, if you have any risk factors and we can talk about what those are. Right, doctor. Right. 
Now, two questions here. One is that when we are talking about bone osteoporosis, we link that, or I see that, maybe I'm wrong, that there is much more linkage with women, women numbers, statistics. One is that. Why is that so? Mm -hmm. Secondly, in terms of diet, how do people mature from the beginning that they are having the right diet? What is the right diet? Now, in different cultures, mm -hmm. it is very different. In a place like India, a lot of people are vegetarian. And when doctors say that, listen, you need to take care of a bit of a bone health, people generally understand that it's a, it's, it's a, there's less calcium in the body. So they prescribe some sort of a calcium uh, supplement and all. What are the, and you talk of, of, you know, holistic approach, alternative treatments and all that stuff. So what is it that people can do very easily, especially the women folk, uh, from which does not make them go out for say it's not always possible also out of the house to get those big tests done all the time. So how do you manage those things in terms of so that we do not ever come to this situation and it's all about prevention? How do we do that? Yeah, th those are really great points. So um, let me go back to the question of why are women more significantly impacted and I think a lot of it actually has to do with the definition by itself. So if you compare women to men, just in general, women have less bone density because they are generally smaller, generally have less muscle mass. So they're always going to have a, a lower bone density to start. If we use the same threshold, the same criteria of a T-score of negative 2.5 for both male and female, then of course, women are going to cross that threshold earlier. The other thing that happens with women more quickly and more predictably than men is the loss of sex hormones as we age. So when women go through menopause, they will see a precipitous drop of estrogen, progesterone and testosterone as they go through that process. Um, and it happens very quickly in that five to 10 years after menopause, they're going to lose bone very rapidly unless they are on hormone replacement. It is, it's just, it's predictable. It happens every time. Um, Men, though, it's a little bit slower. So men, most of their estrogen comes from, all actually, comes from their conversion of testosterone to estrogen in the body. Um, they will slowly, predictably lose testosterone, but it's much more gradual. And that's why for men, the screening criteria are, is 70 years old for men, which is way too late, and 65 years old for women, also way too late. Uh, but there's that threshold because women, it happens, you know, like it's falling off a cliff. And for men, it's much more gradual. So that helps to explain the difference between the genders. Um, when it comes to uh, diet, <clears throat> I love that you brought up, you know, the, the, that there is a large number of vegetarian and, and I think probably vegan, correct me if I'm wrong, um, uh, followers of, of that diet style in India. And this is true. Not, not, so, sorry to, not vegan. Vegan, not I vegan. guess, okay. is too, yes. Vegetarian means you can have uh, veget uh, dairy products. If I understand, vegan is excluding the dairy products. Yeah. And, and a lot of people, in fact, in India would not even know about this vegan. They know about this new thing coming up, but it's a very difficult thing to follow for vegetarians like, like me also. We know about dairy products and that is, I think, constitutes a major part of our protein diet or even in terms mm -hmm. of, you know, the maximum a person would go towards is eggs. But that's if even if there is not much of a chance to be a non-vegetarian, but vegan is still 
a long distance uh, uh, to cover in India. Okay, good. Well, that's 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 helpful for context. Thank you. So, um, when when I if I were to exclude all you know all ethnic culture social if I were just to exclude all of it and say what is the perfect diet, it, regardless of source, protein is one of the most important parts of the diet, and the reason for that is that about a third of your bone actual mass is protein. Muscle mass obviously is very high in, in protein and, and water, but it's mixed with the protein. But without adequate protein, you will lose muscle mass, <clears throat> you will lose bone mass. So it's really important to get adequate protein. The challenge when you're eating a vegetarian diet is that that as an as an animal, as humans, we absorb protein from animals at a higher rate. This is not a like a, a debatable thing. It's just it's just okay. fact, scientific fact. So the challenge then is if you're going to use plant sources of protein, and I'll talk about eggs and dairy in a second, if you're going to use plant sources, you just have to eat more of them to get the amino acid profile that you need. And that's okay. And so we have plenty of patients that follow a vegetarian or potentially vegan diet, and we can help guide them through that. Uh, but generally, again, if I'm going to exclude all the other conversation around animal products versus a vegan diet, um, it's easier to get the protein that you need with animal products in my experience. Now, dairy and eggs are a great addition. I love eggs across the board. For a few people, they could be inflammatory, but most people tolerate eggs. They are a great source of protein. They are a great source of, of vitamins and minerals. Um, and they are a, a, a nice source of saturated fat if you can tolerate saturated fat. And again, most people can. So I love eggs. I personally eat four or five eggs every day. I raise chickens for that same reason. Um, dairy is a little bit of a double-edged sword though. So dairy, it is a great source of protein. Uh, whey protein has really good research behind it, uh, for, for bone health, but it also has other proteins, specifically casein. Casein can be quite inflammatory for some people. So some people don't tolerate it. The number of people that don't tolerate it seems to get bigger as we age. So when we start talking about this, you know, 50, 60, 70 plus age group, then we see less and less people that can tolerate dairy. So if you can tolerate it, I love dairy, particularly I love fermented dairy because it decreases some of the lactose, decreases the quantity of casein. So we're talking about whole fat, you know, Greek style yogurts, one of my favorites, um, hard cheeses, uh, kefir as another uh, fermented source of dairy. Those are all really nice. Um, I find that a lot of people as they age can't tolerate true cow's milk, but potentially can tolerate goat milk, sheep milk, or A2 milk, if you've heard of that version of, of dairy, uh, cow dairy. <clears throat> so that's, the, that's the, the dairy component. That then leads to the question of, okay, well, if I can't get everything I need through diet, what do I add in? And um, for me, this is kind of a tough thing because I love to test. And now you mentioned a really important point, which is a lot of people don't have access to testing. Totally get that. So if you were to say, what are the primary things you can take without testing? I would say probably the most important thing out of the gate, and, and you mentioned this, is calcium. So we talk about you know getting adequate calcium. It is the most commonly recommended supplement for people that have issues with bone health. The challenge is that most supplements with calcium in it aren't very good. So I'll give you a couple of little of hacks around calcium, which is if you look at the calcium as it's stored in the body, it's in this form called calcium hydroxyapatite. And if you just, just Google that term, you'll find some supplements that have that in it. Good evidence to support that that calcium is better absorbed, goes into the bones readily. 
And then if you can't find that one or don't have access to it, calcium citrate seems to be the, the most common, better absorbed form um, rather than other forms. There's a lot of them out there, but that, that generally works pretty well. Um, but to absorb calcium, you have to have a really well-functioning gut and you have to combine it with other things. So what are the other things? The other things are vitamin D and vitamin K. Now, these two you have to be careful with because you can take too much vitamin D. Um, I put my patients on generally between 4,000 and even up to 10,000 international units a day, but I'm testing them. So be very clear about that. I'm not telling anybody to do that. Um, if you don't have access to testing, I think that you need to probably just aim low, you know, just go for 1000, 2000 a day, but strongly encourage you to test that. Um, it's, you know, with the strength of supplements that are available, it's actually pretty easy to go too high. And my threshold, if you're actually testing at home, my threshold is around hundred and 110 of D3. Um, and, um, so just have, you have to be careful. If you go above that, there are some, some calcium precipitation things that can happen like kidney stones, potentially calcification in other parts of your body that you don't want. Vitamin K, I mentioned too. It's important to have vitamin K because it helps to partition the calcium in the right place. So you're consuming calcium and vitamin K, it can end up in places where you don't want it. And so it's important to have the right form and the right amounts of vitamin K. That form of vitamin K that has the best literature behind it is called K2. And then as M as in Mary, um, K2 is MK7. So K2 is MK7. Easy for me to say. Um, <clears throat> that form um, in various doses, the research is a little bit all over the place, but around 100, I believe it's micrograms. I could be wrong about that, but I believe it's 100 micrograms to 200 micrograms a day. Um, those are kind of the, the big players. I find also that most people are deficient in a lot of other minerals. Um, and so that, that's a challenge then is what's next. Uh, magnesium is really important. Um, uh, potassium is really important to get the right amount of, um, you know, zinc. I could just like, I, you just go on and on and on. Some of the testing that we do tests for all of those things. So it's, it's really easy to, for us to start saying, Hey, this is, this is what you need to do it at home. You have to be very, I wouldn't say very careful, but you have to be careful about what you're listening to and what you're picking. Right. Right. Doctor. Now to understand uh, one more thing is that a lot of people, if they may take it that, listen, uh, this whole osteoporosis thing and all these things will come later on in life. And perhaps that is, they become a bit complacent. Uh, should they understand that if they don't take care of their bone health, even early on, then there could be uh, problems, other problems before osteoporosis sets in what are those things that they should keep an eye on that they that is very necessary as they grow up which is the uh, most important part of their lives what yeah, they yeah, great questions what they should notice yeah so i i think probably the most important thing is to get adequate nutrition throughout life you know particularly in the united states i think this is sort of spreading across the world um we have this <laughs> We have this this diet culture and we have this food source, this this nutrition, uh, these challenges where we have an abundance of food, but it's mostly calorie rich and nutrient poor. So we have patients that are chronically dieting. And then when they're not dieting or even when they are, they're eating high, pro highly processed food that has a lot of calories and poor nutrition. So what we're finding is a lot of people are just undernourished, even if they're overweight and obese, they're still undernourished. 
And that's a huge risk factor for, for, um, for osteoporosis and early osteoporosis. As I mentioned, you know, going all the way back to adolescence, if you are, if you have a teenage daughter who's chronically dieting and eating bad food, she's at high risk for having bone health issues. I have patients in their twenties that I'm diagnosing osteoporosis in. And you go back and ask and it's like, well, yeah, you know, I was chronically dieting and had a lot of stress in my life or, you know, there's, there's so many reasons. Um, and even myself, you know, I actually have osteopenia and I'm a six foot tall, 190 pound guy. Uh, you wouldn't think that I would be osteopenic, but I go back to my adolescence and I had a lot of issues with, I was chronically dieting. I was trying to stay lean for the sports that I was involved in. Um, I wasn't doing a lot of low bearing activity. So it's not surprising to me, actually, when I think about my history that I have some osteopenia. Now that said, my bone quality is very good. You know, I lift heavy weights. I do a lot of low bearing stuff. So my bones are, are, are okay, but I never probably achieved a good peak bone mass. Um, <clears throat> the other component of that I just mentioned is activity, particularly in adolescence, encouraging, you know, young women and men um, to be involved in activities that involve, you know, running, jumping, bouncing. Statistically, if you look at the literature, gymnastics is the, the supreme sport for creating good bone density. There are other issues with, with being in gymnastics as far as injuries. So I don't know if that's the right answer, but it gives you an idea that, you know, that, that feeling of, you know, loading of falling and landing impact, you know, all of those things matter. So being involved in some kind of a sport where you're getting out, you're moving, you're getting sunlight, you're getting vitamin D, you're eating good food because you're hungry from working out, like all of those things build up uh, over time. So those are the two biggest things. Right, doctor. And you just said that, you know, even 20 year old uh, can, uh, can have osteoporosis uh, if they are not uh, taking care of their bone health. That's very alarming indeed. And I think a lot of people should be aware of that. But in case somebody has osteoporosis at an early age, even at a later age, you talk about reversing of yeah. osteoporosis. How do you get to that? But before that, doctor, I would like to understand from you is about you are a health optimization physician and you have this telehealth practice, optimal bone health. What do you do here? What do what can people expect here if they connect with you? And what yeah. is health optimization and all that stuff. Yeah. So I'll just answer all those backwards. So, um, so health optimization is a term that I kind of adopted because what we do doesn't really have a great definition. You know, we are, we are outside of the traditional medical model. My, my background, um, actually is as an orthopedic surgeon. So I, I practiced as an orthopedic surgeon in a traditional medical model. I treated hip fractures. I, I managed spine fractures. I, you know, I did all those things. I left that model to, pursue this different type of care. Um, and when I was setting up the practice a couple of years ago, I, I really struggled with, you know, what are we? You hear terms like functional medicine. And, and yes, I have a, a fellowship in functional medicine, but functional medicine is not, it doesn't really encompass what we do comprehensively. You hear other terms like integrative. So, you know, is this an integrative practice? Well, yeah, you know, like we have coaches and we integrate with a lot of different things, but again, what does that word really mean? And so for me, we chose this term health optimization because ultimately what we're doing is taking people that are in the traditional medical model that are unhappy with what that accepted level of care is, and we're going to elevate them to the next level. You know, that's ultimately our goal. And whether that be in bone health, longevity, anti-aging, even performance, we have you know patients that are in those realms as well. Um, that's what we're ultimately doing. So that's why I call it health optimization. 
the way that we do that and how we integrate is that we we really are more of like a membership kind of thing. So we are we onboard people for 12 months at a time. We use extensive lab testing. So that's blood testing, functional testing, especially for bone health. We're looking at gut very extensively. Um, and then we're utilizing coaching. We're utilizing coaches that are experts in gut health. They're experts in lifestyle change. And so you meet with the coaches out of the gate and we talk about the different parts of lifestyle that are relevant to your goals. We eventually get all the testing done and then you meet with your physician, whether it be myself or my partner, Dr. Van Maley, and then you, uh, we come up with a plan that includes lifestyle, targeted supplementation, um, and then we have conversations about things like hormone optimization, peptide protocols, and even pharmaceuticals, although we generally don't use those in our practice. We do that then for the next five months, and then we retest to make sure that we're headed in the right direction so we're not just like searching around in the dark. And then we adjust the protocol, and then we go again for another six months. That way, a year later, you know exactly where you've gone. You know exactly where you started, and then you can decide, okay, what do I need to do now? Uh, Most people, to be honest, actually continue on with us because there is really no end to what you can optimize. Um, To answer your question about the bone health side, what does it mean to reverse osteoporosis? Well, for people that are in the optimal bone health category, you know, we set clear goals. We say, look, our goal is to identify why you're losing bone and then to reverse those causes of bone loss, retest, make make sure we're going the right way, and then revive your life and try to live without the fear of fracture. So that's, we call that the 4R method. And um, when I say reverse osteoporosis, what I'm, what I'm saying more clearly is I want to reverse the causes of bone loss. And then what I want to see is improvement in the imaging and whether it be DEXA, like we talked about or other modalities, we're looking for improvement in bone quantity and we're looking for improvement in bone quality. So that's what I mean by reversing osteoporosis. That's a bit of a controversial statement. Um, but I do believe that we can definitely reverse the causes of bone loss and then we can hopefully see improvements in imaging over time, but it does take time. Okay. Okay. So a person who has, you know, uh, who is just 20, 24, 25, around that point in time, mm-hmm. what is it that they can do in terms of bone optimization, but they are not able to connect with you? Somebody he is in a smaller place. How do they yeah. do it themselves? Because it, 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 it is something, if they learn it, then they might be able to perhaps follow it as much as possible and may not lead to any sort of a problem in the future. Everybody may not be able to connect with you. Some will be. Obviously, you just tell us how can they connect with you. Even organizations would like to benefit out of that. Yeah. And, and, you know, part of in a place like India. Sure. Absolutely. And, and, you know, part of our mission is simply to educate, you know, so so my goal is to to be on on talks like this. Um, I give live talks. I do live streams. So, you know, my goal is to educate. And that's really I have passed on a lot of the patient care to my partner uh, who's who trained with me um, so that I can do more of this. So, you know, I'm happy to do these things, even though that's not, you know, generating revenue for my company. It's that, you know, our mission is to educate people about bone health. So uh, if anybody listens to this, that wants, wants a speaker just simply to educate and not attract leads, that's, you know, there's a role for that. Um, as far as how to get in touch with us, just simply go to our website at optimalbonehealth.com. That's optimalbonehealth.com. 
And um, there are a lot of resources on there. Um, we have a lot of partner companies and it, it, there's a lot of interesting things on there. That's where a lot of free resources are as well. If you want to consider working with us, uh, you can just book a call with one of my team members. They'll talk to you about what the program looks like and see if it's a good fit. Not everybody's a good fit because not everybody wants to do the things that we are going to ask them to do. We don't have a magic cure. You know, if you want to, if you want a drug, you don't need to come see us for a drug. Um, but if you want to actually get to the root cause of the problem, we're, as far as I know, the only people that are doing it. Um, as far as things that people can do, you know, if you're in your 20s, 30s, even honestly, 40s and 50s, and you're concerned about your bones, I would say if you can get a DEXA and get tested and know. Um, if you can't, then simple things like a lot of the foundational stuff that are good for health in general, you know, making sure that you're optimizing sleep, getting that eight hour window of sleep in and making sure that you're sleeping without sleep aids, um, mitigating your stress. You know, we all have different forms of stress. doesn't matter what country you live in, how much money you make, how many businesses you run. We all see stress. How you handle that stress is, is really important for your bones. Um, the nutrition component, I would say the primary component of nutrition, regardless of your chosen uh, dietary lifestyle, is to make sure you're getting adequate protein. Get adequate protein, maintain a healthy muscular body through activity, and your bones are likely going to be in pretty good shape. Um, but again, if you can get tested, get tested. Right. And how do they connect with you? What are What is the best way to connect with you, doctor? Yeah, just go to our website and click on the link to schedule a call. That's the easiest way to connect with us. If they want to just follow us, uh, we just follow me on social media. So on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Dr. Doug Lucas. Uh, we just launched a new YouTube channel, which has a lot of material. Um, we're I'm recording content um, every week for the YouTube channel. So that's going to be a big avenue for us to, to help educate people on osteoporosis. Right, right, doctor. My last question to you is, to understand a lot of times patients are told that they need surgery. You are a surgeon yourself, but at one point in time, you have, you may have done a lot of surgeries and now you educate patients on how to prevent surgeries when, on which you are trained to. That's perform. right. Okay. So how do patients actually make sure or understand if actually a surgery is needed or there is another way out of that. Not that that is a wrong advice, but what happens is you can take a second opinion, third opinion, but you are in the US. You do a lot of research. You have access to a lot of new technology, new findings, and you are you may be knowing a bit more than a person who is especially in a rural area. Yeah, but yeah. he's connected to the world. He can connect with you on the internet. Sure. So what would you like to tell them how to evaluate that suggestion from a doctor for a patient when he's telling he or she is telling them to go for a surgery? How should yeah. they go and understand what should be the final way? Yeah, the, the surgeries specific to osteoporosis are going to generally be driven around fractures. And so I will say that hip fracture is, in, is a surgery almost every time. Unless, you're, unless your goal is not to have any kind of function um, after healing without surgery, a hip fracture generally needs to have an operation. So that's, pretty, that's a pretty clear one. Um, and it's difficult to get a second opinion in a lot of those circumstances because generally you're immobile, you can't move around, there's really nothing you can do. So when it comes to hip fractures, really you want to prevent that from occurring. 
Um, the spine fractures are a little less obvious. Uh, in the U.S., we do a lot of surgery. Um, you know, the, the, the model is kind of set up that if, you know, if you, if you have a problem, we have a drug and a surgery to fix that. Um, I, I don't agree with that completely. Um, I think that it would be nice if we could get paid as physicians to help prevent things, but that's not how our system is designed. So I, I do think that there are spine surgeries that probably happen that maybe aren't changing the trajectory of the patient care. Um, that said, you really have to listen to your surgeon and potentially get a second opinion if you're getting a recommendation for a surgery for a, a spine fracture. Um, there are a lot of there's a lot of confusion around when what needs surgery and when um, in general compression fractures from osteoporosis will heal, but they might take a long time. And so there's a role for early surgery to help get people moving faster. That's certainly true. There's a role for surgery to help with prevent uh, with uh, with posture changes and with deformity. Um, that's true. If you have any kind of neurologic compromise, then certainly surgery is indicated. And that's that's another one of those emergency scenarios. But that's a little bit tougher. The other fractures that occur with osteoporosis, you're talking upper arm, you know, so up by the shoulder. Most of those can be treated without surgery, but the function's not great. So again, this is one of those things you really want to avoid. It's really hard after you've had that fracture to be able to get your arm up over your head again. Um, the reality, though, is that if you have surgery, you might have a very similar outcome. And so that's where you really, again, have to rely on your surgeon to say, look, is this going to make me better or is this just going to make me different? And so it's really important to have that question. Other common fractures, you know, ankle fractures, wrist fractures, it's really fracture dependent. And that's sort of that, that blends into the kind of the world of, of trauma surgery and fracture surgery outside of osteoporosis. So that kind of gets into a different space. Um, you know, other surgeries, if you start talking about outside of osteoporosis, I could talk forever about, you know, when and why and what, but that gets very patient specific. So it's hard to make recommendations. Right, Dr. Doug. Right. All I understand is thank you very much for the, all the great information you shared with us. And at the end, as I said, all I understand is that prevention is always better than cure. With okay. this, it's a wrap on this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live. Thank you so much indeed. Thank you. Thank you.